Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted with sorrow. Why are you sleeping? he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Well, do keep uh, Luke 22 open in front of you. We're going to be digging into that together for the next few minutes. And um, I'm just going to pray for us for God's help as we begin. And so let me pray. Our Lord God, we pray that this evening you might help us to understand the truth of your word, to believe it and to put it into practice. Help me to speak clearly and give each of us soft, willing, understanding hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, the great Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McShane, uh, wrote these words. What a man is on his knees, that he is. What a man is on his knees, that he is. And this evening, we are really going to be standing on holy ground. Now, when Moses approached the burning bush, he was told he had to kick off his sandals because the ground he was standing on was holy ground. And this evening, we're going to be standing on holy ground as we listen to the private prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, It's considered rude, intrusive even, to listen in to others' conversations. But this evening, we're going to listen not to a conversation, but to the private prayers, the deeply personal and revealing prayers of Jesus Christ. Uh, There is something deeply personal about our prayers, isn't there? It, it, It shows our deepest concerns and the priorities that weigh upon our hearts as we pour them out to God our Father. It's why praying together is such a joy, because as we pray together, we're we're vulnerable with one another before the Lord, and that's what we'll be doing this evening. We're going to be listening to the prayers of the one righteous man, the unique Son of God, as he prays to his Father in heaven. Uh, Here we have this evening the perfect prayer. Uh, These are not the words of a hypocrite or a pretender. There's no one that he's trying to impress with his theological language. These are the most intimate and truthful thoughts of the one godly man, Jesus of Nazareth. 
It said that nothing focuses the mind like your impending death. And here we are the night before Jesus knows that he will be executed and he prays to his father. And we get to hear what he says as the disciples were just there a stone's throw away to help us listen in together. So what do we learn from this prayer of Jesus, this intimate moment? Well, this evening I'd like to suggest we learn something about Jesus' death, about the cross, and we learn something about prayer itself. And so firstly, we learn that Jesus' death was a willing sacrifice for sinful people. Jesus' death, the cross, was a willing sacrifice for sinful people. Now, if you know Luke's gospel, you'll know that from Luke 9, Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. He has gone there resolutely, telling his disciples again and again that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be killed, and after three days rise again. Resolutely, he has set his face in that direction. Fearlessly, he's gone. And yet here, as we're invited to hear him pray for the first time in uh, Luke's gospel, in his own words, we hear the genuine struggle and anguish of Jesus as he prays. It's It's an emotional scene. Verse 42, he prays, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Verse 44, being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Uh, Probably a, a metaphor there. It's not that he sweat blood. It's that his sweat in the darkness poured down his face. Just a little look forward in terms of his appearance to his death the very next day on the cross. It's clear that his death, it's clear that what lies ahead will cost him dearly. But notice that for that, he goes willingly. Those words again, verse 42, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. See, for all the anguish, for all the struggle that we're invited into in these verses, we see that Jesus quite deliberately submits himself to the will of his Father in heaven and says, if it's your will that I go, well, not my will, but yours be done. And we need to see that clearly because in the next two chapters of Luke's gospel, over the next few hours of Jesus' life, we are going to see everything get really, really messy. Uh, Jesus says um, a little further down the passage in verse 53 that this is your hour to the authorities who are arresting him, the hour when darkness reigns. Things are going to look messy, but we see from the prayer of Jesus that nevertheless he goes there willingly, by choice, quite deliberately, We see in the prayer of Jesus that the cross is not a tragic accident. It's not plan B. It's not the triumph of evil humanity over God. The cross is the deliberate plan of God the Father, willingly submitted to by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. 
Uh, The cross is not just sort of um, a hapless victim. Jesus, the innocent one who the father throws under the bus against his wishes. There's nothing malicious or abusive about what happens at the cross. Jesus goes there deliberately and willingly. Not my will, but yours be done. It's an interesting um, detail in verse 39. Um, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. Um, If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've seen in this section in Jerusalem that each night Jesus goes out to the same place on the Mount of Olives. Now here, he's already said that Judas is going to betray him, and yet he goes out to pray as usual. Not hiding, no accident, Jesus stands there and prays, Father, not my will, but yours be done. But if the cross is no accident, if Jesus goes there quite deliberately, willingly, if that's true, why then the agony and sweat and tears in this prayer? I mean, after all, um, there are many people who have gone to their death with greater composure than this. Uh, Maybe you'll know um, Socrates famously held a sort of dinner party with his closest friends before he was due to drink poison and exhorted them not to fear death before calmly taking the poison that would kill him. And um, uh, if you don't know that story, then um, uh, you're a very uh, lucky person. Sorry to have spoiled it for you. Um, Socrates, um, probably not the dinner party to go to, but here is Jesus... In agony, is it just that Jesus is less brave than Socrates? If Jesus goes willingly and deliberately, why the anguish? Why the, um, the, drop, the, the sweat like drops of blood falling to the ground in verse 44? And the answer's for us there again in the words of Jesus' prayer. Verse 42, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. What is the cup that Jesus knows that he is going to drink? The cup that he wills that the Father would take from him? The cup that causes such anguish? Uh, well, I've got, uh, I've got three cups for us here uh, this evening, if you'll excuse the props. Um, so I've got here the, um, this cup of, um, it's only Diet Coke, but, um, but we'll, anyway, we'll call it the cup of joy, shall we? This is the cup of joy, the cup of celebration. And I've also um, brought this evening some cowpole, and um, we'll call this one the cup of healing. Uh, this is the really good one. And, um, and it's, um, it's just as delicious as I remember from childhood <laughs> days. So there we have the cup of joy and the cup of healing. But what of the cup that the Lord Jesus Christ will drink? What is this cup that he um, is so um, in anguish about? Well, the Old Testament prophets speak of a cup, and I've put, um, I've put some quotes on the handout that you were given on the way in, if that just helps us to get there. And the Old Testament prophets speak of the cup of the very great anger of God. Have a look at the quote from Jeremiah 25. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup 
filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. See, the Old Testament prophets warn of a cup, not a cup of joy, not a cup of healing, but a cup of wrath, a cup of the right and very great anger of God at the sin of the world. Of course, the Bible says that God must judge, that God must have a fixed, settled, and right anger at human evil. A friend of mine was telling me recently about how his grandfather was one of the first allied soldiers to the concentration camps as they were liberated in the Second World War. Never spoke of what he saw there. But can we imagine a God who would stand back from human evil with his arms folded and do nothing? What a grotesque and ugly God of our own invention. No, the Bible says that the God who is there is serious about human evil in the world, that the cup is a cup of God's fixed, settled, and right anger against human evil in the world. But the sobering truth of the prophets is that it's not just the obviously evil in our world who deserve to drink the cup, but every person who deserves to drink the cup. Uh, This chapter of Luke's gospel shows us even Jesus' closest followers, his best friends, disappear and deny him. Even they stand under the judgment of the cup. Uh, Last week, we saw that the disciples talk a very good game, don't they? If you look back to verse 31, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all, you plural, as wheat. But Simon replies, verse 33, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. You see the proud self-confidence of Simon Don't worry about it, Jesus. I'll be there to the end. Again, Jesus says to his disciples, things are going to get hard. And they say, well, we've only got a couple of swords, but we'll do what we can. And the dinner party ends in tragedy, doesn't it? With Jesus marching out, declaring, this is enough. That's enough. I've had enough. Proud, self-confident. And here already we see in verse 45, that when Jesus rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. And just a few hours later, they will all desert him. Even Peter, Peter the rock, Peter the dependable one, will deny Jesus three times. They talk a good game, they look strong and morally impressive, but it, the reality is far more sobering and far more exposing. And it's the same not true for us. How many of us talk a good game about living godly and upright lives? You check our Facebook page or our other social media and you see someone who is a good friend, a good employee, someone who is good to be around. But the reality is far more humbling and far more sobering. Imagine for a moment that rather than our carefully curated Facebook page, there was a Twitter feed that just put everything you ever did or thought or said up there for anyone to read, second by second. Not just the things you do that are good, the ones that get there on your own Facebook, but the things you'd never want anyone to know about. Now, if you're anything like me, there'd be things that you would be delighted for people to see, 
and things you'd be horrified to think they would see. Like the disciples, we can talk a good game about being moral people, but wouldn't it just reveal that the kindest friend is still capable of the cruelest word that cuts someone down? The most faithful spouse, the most unfaithful thoughts, and the most diligent employee, the most um, wrecking behavior in other areas of their lives. And here is the truth that drives Jesus to anguished prayer, the truth about the cross that we must see. Jesus says that he goes to the cross to take the cup of God's very great anger against you and against me and to drink it to the dregs on our behalf. Jesus goes to the cross to bear the right anger of God against you and me on himself. Is that not a remarkable thing? And so Jesus uh, prays with great drops of sweat falling down his face in anguish that the Father would enable him to do it and to drink the cup because it's a costly thing. He goes willingly He goes as a sacrifice to drink the cup of God's very great anger so that we don't have to. Jesus' death was a willing sacrifice for sinful people. It's a prayer full of emotional depth, a prayer full of anguish, yes, but a prayer full of love, surely, because this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his one and only son as an atoning sacrifice. That means one who drinks the cup of God's very great anger for our sin. Now, there are always a number of people amongst us every week who are just exploring the Christian faith, and um, you're very welcome here. We love to have people like that here. Let me just say to you, please don't think that Christianity is about being a moral person or a spiritual person or a strong person. No, Jesus goes to his death precisely because we are not moral or spiritual or strong A Christian is not someone who is moral or spiritual or strong, but someone who says, Jesus, I want you to have drunk the cup for me in my place so that I don't have to. And so it's a powerful prayer. It speaks of the the painful and sobering love of Jesus for us on the cross. Listen, brothers and sisters, we have so much to be thankful for this evening. I don't know what's going on in the details of your day-to-day life, but I do know as we overhear the anguish of Jesus' prayer, we see the depth of his love for you. To drink the cup on your behalf, to willingly go to the cross for you that you might live. What a love. What a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. Jesus' death was a willing sacrifice for sinful people like us. But then very briefly, we also see in these words of Jesus in prayer to his Father and these words to his disciples, something about prayer. 
If we see that the cross is a willing sacrifice for sinful people, we see that prayer is an urgent need for weak people. Prayer is an urgent need for weak people. Now, I don't know if you noticed that the, um, the passage begins and ends with Jesus pleading with the disciples to do one thing. Verse 40, on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Again, verse 45, when he rose from prayer, he went back to the disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow, and said, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Twice, Jesus implores the disciples. He urges them to pray. And in between those two two injunctions of Jesus to the disciples, there's a great contrast. Because on the one hand, you have Jesus, who in anguish is on his knees in prayer. And on the other hand, you have disciples who in their sorrow are exhausted and are asleep. And it's not going to be long before they walk away from Jesus and every one of them deserts him. Now look, I don't know if you've ever tried to do a job with um, completely the wrong tools. I know a bad workman blames his tools, but um, when uh, I moved into my first house um, at university, so out of halls, beginning of second year of uni, um, I bought a number of items of furniture from Ikea. And um, what I discovered then was that the, the Allen key that's supposed to do everything doesn't actually do everything, does it? There are a number of other tools that you're required to build most of your furniture, tools which I did not have. And so I found myself with a brick in one hand and a bookcase in the other, just trying to Get that thing together. And, um, and then, uh, this is the clever piece, the clever bit, 5P piece, trying to screw up some of the screws there. Um, it was fine as long as you didn't touch it or put anything on it. But there, there I was with my rickety furniture and completely the wrong tools. So now, here's a question. How is it that the disciples walk away while Jesus stays the course to the cross. I mean, the disciples are full of self-confidence. We've seen that together, their confidence in their strength. And yet here at the first hurdle, they're asleep. So how is it that Jesus stays the course when they don't? And I know we're tempted to answer that by talking about Jesus's strength. You know, Jesus was the unique son of God. Surely that's why But I think to say that ignores Jesus' genuine humanity. Jesus was fully man. He was like us in every way except sin. If you cut Jesus, he bled. He grew tired. He grew hungry. He sweat and he struggled. And we see it here. So how is it that he stays the course? Verse 42, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. It's not that Jesus was strong. It's not that Jesus was tough. It's not that Jesus was different than you and me. It's that Jesus was dependent. 
is that Jesus prayed and God helps those who pray. And so Jesus implores his disciples twice, pray that you'll not fall into temptation. Jesus says, pray that you'll not fall into temptation. In this prayer of Jesus, we see that we need God's help. We need Jesus as the, um, the one who drinks the cup for us. But he also gives us an example of crying out to God and asking God for the strength to, well, to obey his will and not to yield to temptation, the strength to go the way of the cross. You know, it was Jesus who said to his disciples that if anyone must come af- would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. It's what Calvin calls the modesty of faith, to pray to God, not my will, but yours be done, for God to help us to follow him when it's hard. And in the disciples, we see a negative picture, don't we? We see their unfaithfulness to Jesus, but we also see their their prayerlessness, their lack of dependence, their self-reliance. A number of years ago, I went to a seminar on keeping going for the long term as a Christian. That's the sort of title that's going to draw you in as a young man. You go along to that thinking, well, I want to keep going to the end. And um, the speaker was a sort of well-known Christian conference speaker. Um, He was, um, I think it's fair to say, very old So I thought it was probably fair that he'd have an answer on this. And do you know what he said? He said, I've never met a mature Christian who didn't make it their daily habit to read the Bible and pray every day. And to be honest, I was gutted because I thought that there would be some kind of special pill that I could take or a new idea that I could learn. There was something I could be or do more in order to get me there on the last day and keep me walking with Jesus. And all he said was that you um, ought to read your Bible and pray. And yet that's right, isn't it? When things get hard, how often are we tempted to look for our own solutions and to look for the strength within ourselves? And Jesus, the man, the one righteous man, prayed and depended on his father. And his father helped him. Notice his father doesn't take the cup away, but strengthens him. It may not be an angel is sent to strengthen us, but God hears the prayers of his people and strengthens us to go his way so that we can pray with the modesty of faith, if you're willing, and take this from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And maybe you're here this evening and you just feel exhausted by the Christian life, weary and worried and tired by it all. Uh, maybe standing out for Jesus at school or at university is, has just been so hard this term and you just feel worn down by it. Uh, maybe the circumstances that you fate, uh, face weigh heavy on your heart and sometimes you wonder about just walking away from God entirely. Perhaps there's some anxiety in your life and the thought of living for Jesus is just, is just constantly pushed out by the worries of all the things that you have to deal with day to day. It's not one thing, it's a million things. And Jesus says, pray that you'll not fall into temptation. Pray that when things are hard and that when we feel exhausted, 
God would strengthen us to keep trusting him and going his way. Uh, Maybe you're here and you feel quite confident this evening. Actually, you feel strong and being a Christian is good and you feel very happy. Well, what is it that will keep us going for the long term? What will keep us going when things get hard and the hour of darkness seems to draw in? When the temptations come, Jesus says, pray that you'll not fall into temptation. Pray to God, not my will, but yours be done. So here it is. If I was going to sum up the heart of Jesus' prayer here for us, it is this. You and me, we need God's help desperately, urgently. We need God to come as a man and drink the cup on our behalf. Have you asked him to do that for you? And we need his help to keep trusting him and walking with him every day, even on the dark days, even when it's hard. Have you asked him for that recently? Jesus' death, a willing sacrifice for ungodly people, and prayer, an urgent need for weak people. Let us pray together. Our Father God, we thank you so much for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ where he took the cup on our behalf, bore the wrath that we might stand forgiven at the cross. Do you fill us please with thanks and joy at that reality and we pray please keep us from falling into temptation, keep us trusting you day by day and obedient to your will in Jesus' name.